Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Work Stories is a place for women of color to share their experiences in the workplace. We're no longer whispering these stories to our best friends and partners and then shoving them to the backs of our minds and just dealing. We're talking about bias, equal pay, bad bosses, racist hiring practices, and all the crazy things your coworkers have done or said to you. This is a safe place to tell those stories. The floor is open, y'all. We are telling it all. Welcome back to Work Stories. Our next guest dumped the corporate world for her own business. But when she brought in people to work with her, she had strict rules so that her business wouldn't be another toxic, demeaning space for women. No, really, she made people sign a contract. Let's talk to her. So my name is Victoria. I own a beauty studio that operates like an incubator. I'm from the border. I'm very proud to be from El Paso, Texas. We're very Mexican and very American at the same time. So I get to have the best of both worlds. I actually started my business through pretty much the same basis. And I had a lot of experience in management. And I had the opportunity to work at a salon after the pandemic. I lost my corporate job. And I ended up taking a super chill job working for a salon. Fell in love with serving women and helping their businesses grow. And so I realized that that was something that I wanted to do. The same resources that I was using, I wanted to bring those resources to Latina-owned businesses. So that's pretty much why I opened up my business because it pretty much aligns with a lot of my background. And in, during the pandemic as well, we saw like a huge unemployment rate for Latino women, which to me was kind of crazy because I feel like most of the women that I knew growing up were some of like the hardest working women I knew. A lot of them were immigrants, including my mother. And I just could not believe that the unemployment rates were so high for Latina women, despite whatever factors those were. It just was really shocking for me. So I wanted to be a part of the solution. So the incubator space that I have pretty much allows women to be able to grow, have the resources they need to have their businesses succeed so that they can have financial and economic power to be able to have upward mobility. And that ties in really deeply to my story because since my mom was an immigrant, she actually went into the beauty industry and it's one of the few trade schools that you can go to that requires minimal education. And then she was able to build a really good career out of beauty to where I hardly walked out of school with any debt. My little sister walked out with no debt. Wow. It really was able to take our family forward. So I have a lot of gratitude towards the beauty industry because of what it has done for my family. And I learned so much through my college experience that now I get to just pay it forward with my space in so many different ways 
it's like beauty was a part of my life from a very early age, but I didn't realize it. And it's kind of cool to see like the full circle events bring me up to this place. Yeah. Okay. So I kind of want to start off with when you were in school, leaving school, you know, what were your career goals? I mean, you've had a lot of different cool jobs. Like tell us what you wanted for yourself in the beginning. When I first went to college, I knew I was going to be doing some sort of corporate job. Like I actually was really excited to have this cool job where I felt like I could be this career woman, just like grow through the ladder and kind of just be promoted in that way. And like eventually be like at a VP CEO position. That was what I dreamed of. And it's so crazy to think that within like three, four years of being like in a corporate job, I just was not having it anymore. But what's cool is I did get to work for these really fun companies. I started off with Target. They had me as an executive team leader. I really enjoyed working for Target, which then propelled me to grow at Apple. I worked at Apple for a year and a half. And then I worked at another corporation here locally. It's like a big chain of dentist offices. I was always just challenged and given like a lot of opportunities to really excel. Yeah. Leading up to the pandemic, which was about five years after I had graduated college, I just realized it was not what I really wanted to do. And it also wasn't sustainable. I had hit burnout within five years of like graduating my college career. And the dreams that I thought I had of pursuing this career were pretty much at that point broken. Like this was not going to be something I could do for life. When you were in those corporate spaces, what were you really good at and you felt confident about even when you left? I became a consultant within the last two years of my job. And I love solving problems, like see a problem, see something that isn't necessarily functioning the way that it should. And I create systems and processes that kind of help make it smoother and easier for everybody. It ended up being like this very analytical position where I'd look at numbers or I'd look at patterns and I'd kind of see, okay, like these positions aren't working or, you know, we need someone to fill in the gap in this specific area. Mm -hmm. I got to go through about 12 different departments and I got to like sort them and organize them and make sure that like we had the right job descriptions, the right flow, proper channels of leadership to make sure that each department was working the way that it should. So it was really, really fun. I also feel like I had a lot of power in that position. (laughs) You knew that if I was coming to your department, you were a little scared because essentially a few people were complaining enough to where I would get sent into that department to start looking at where the problems were. And I think part of this was setting me up for failure as well, because Normally, consultants are outsourced from different companies. They're not usually within the same company. Yeah. And so essentially, if I had to correct your department, it's like, and we shared the same office, you still had to see me every single (laughs) week. I had to like tell you like what was wrong with your job and then report it to our boss, our supervisor. And then you'd be sitting next to me like for months and just resenting me. There's so much tension there. That was probably one of the reasons why like my last job was extremely stressful. I worked in a predominantly white space. You know, there was not a lot of women of color in the space. Like there was absolutely no black women. There was only like two, three other Latina women in there and they were extremely competitive. I did end up finding a lot of comfort in one Asian colleague and then another girl who was mixed. She was like Latina and white. Like the few years that I was there, it was really, really hard to work with a lot of men. I didn't grow up with privilege. My mom really had to build build up everything for us. There were so many things that I just didn't have growing up. And there was people who would just kind of talk about their skiing trips, going on yachts. These were like unrelatable stories on so many different levels. So like there was always like these disconnects. Yeah. I couldn't really grow in certain areas of my corporate job because I just didn't resonate with a lot of people in my workspace either. So I'd also hit a point where I was stagnant as well. I was seeing other people grow and promote for doing half the work that I was doing. Mm-hmm. It was also really discouraging because 
because it's like, why do I have to work two to three times harder than this individual work longer hours? But because I don't play golf, and I don't necessarily have this crazy relationship with some of my supervisors, I'm not able to necessarily grow as quickly as they can. And like even come to find out later, at one point, I was helping the finance department get organized. And then I realized like some of these people were being paid three times as much as I was being paid for doing half the work that I was doing for the company. Oh, my goodness. Besides the fact that my position was a little awkward, there was just other areas in the workplace that I just realized, man, like this is just not for me, which kind of also led me to entrepreneurship because in entrepreneurship, you can give 100% and you get 100% of the rewards back. Whereas like in a corporate job, if you're a high achiever, that doesn't mean anything. If you didn't negotiate properly for what you're supposed to be getting paid, then it's like they're very happy to like abuse you and use you for as long as they can. So I felt like going into like work for myself would level out that playing field for me. Even if that meant like early on, it was going to be really hard to do that. I'd rather set the pace, get a new place that would be on my terms. And like whatever I put into it is what I'm going to get out of that space. Yeah. What you said about it doesn't matter if you're a higher achiever. I actually just saw some random reel about that. And I don't think I ever really thought about it like that. Like it's not actually about, oh, I do really good work. That is not how people get ahead. It is about bonding over the golf trips and the ski trips and having things in common. It is such a social strategic game and it has nothing to do with how you're actually performing, even though we have performance reviews and all these other measures as if that is important. And it's so frustrating when we're just like, we have nothing in common. So how are we supposed to have that rapport so that we get promoted? Do you think if your workplaces had a better culture of belonging that you might have stayed in corporate longer? Everything happens for a reason. If I was meant to stay in that space, that would have already existed, right? Yeah. So to answer your question, yes, I think that if that had been the reality, I probably would have stayed a lot longer if I saw that there was equal opportunity to socialize with my bosses or there was more equity in those social opportunities. It would have been super easy to stay there because that means my work-life balance would have been better because essentially we spend 40% of our lives with the people we work with. So if you're not enjoying the people that you're working with, that's 40% of your life. You spend more time with them than your family, your friends, your children. Mm -hmm. So I knew that if I was going to work with people, I wanted to work with the right people who I aligned with. I enjoy seeing every day. And that's also something that like entrepreneurship has given me a freedom for too, is that I get to choose who comes into that space. And it's like, I've created this sacred space where women can really thrive, enjoy each other, ask any girl at the salon. And it's like, you know, I come in and I get to have peace. Like I don't have any tension. I also have like a non-committal policy. Most salons will make people sign a one to two year contract to stay with them. I don't have any long-term contracts. The moment that you feel unhappy, you can pick up your stuff and pretty much, you know, exit. But I just only want people who are satisfied and happy to be there. I've been able to determine like, this is what I want in the culture. This is what I want in the space. Like nothing is by default. It is all very intentional to make sure that you know, the women feel good. I feel good because essentially a lot of what I do there comes from my experiences of like feeling like an outcast most of the time in my corporate job. Here, there's a strong sense of belonging. I can create a tribe of women who like succeed, grow. And even the women who've had to leave, whether they wanted to start their own thing, I've still been able to keep these beautiful relationships with people who were with me for a season because they decided to like do their own thing. Some of the girls who wanted to start something on their own, I'm excited to cheer them on because there's enough for everybody. There's so much abundance in the world. My last workplace was extremely competitive. Like some of the Latina women that were there, women, period. It was so competitive that there was no room for anybody to grow, which is fun 
funny because at a corporate office, it's like none of us own the business and none of us are like running a business in there. It's just a career. And like to me, it's just crazy to see the other side of it in entrepreneurship and work with people who just don't see me as a competition. And at the end of the day, it's like I'm there to support their businesses and help them grow. So it's refreshing. Do you feel like in your space, you have been able to kind of take out that competition aspect? That aspect is in everything we do as women of color. Like we're pitted against each other. We're pitted against white women too, women in general. How have you been able to kind of make sure that that space is safe so that all your different stylists can come in and do their thing and feel like they're like in a friendly space? I think it starts with the code of conduct. In my code of conduct, the first value that I put on there is that we support women. I kind of break down like how we support women. And I pretty much say like, this is what we do. This is how we see women. We see women as equals. We see other women as community, as people that we can build with not against. And the rest of the code of conduct is also kind of like built to also support that where it's like, you know, I don't like tolerating any gossip. Like I just have always hated if someone were to tell me like, well, so and so did this or like so and so like, did you know? And it's like, to me, if there's any issues that come up in the salon, like I will literally tell somebody, have you talked to that person first? Until you've talked to them, I don't want to hear it. Like until you've tried to find some sort of resolve with them. And that's actually in my code of conduct too, where it just kind of talks about how we're supposed to handle conflict resolution. Like if we're having issues. Mm -hmm. Another one of our values, it says we support business, which essentially also talks about how I'm setting the stage for them when I first onboard them when I go through it myself with them, I don't care how long it takes, like we'll go through all the values on the code of conduct because I want to know they understand what they're signing when they come into the space. And usually that takes me about an hour and a half to onboard every person. But I do it because I want them to understand that like if they break this code of conduct, I don't want to tolerate like anybody who's not going to respect those rules, you know, and those values that we have for the company. So I think yeah. like emphasizing it when they come on at the beginning really plays a huge role on how they do that later, which I think is kind of awesome because I've worked in jobs where they don't have a code of conduct. They don't have a set of rules. Essentially, like if somebody's misbehaving or is gossiping or disrespecting somebody's workspace or like disrespecting their business, one of the last workspaces that I that I was at, he didn't even have like a code of conduct or a rule book or handbook to reference. So like when somebody was doing something, he had no form of like repercussions or accountability to the people who were in his salon. And it's like, I always want to make sure that people know what they're signing up for so that the moment that I have to say something or speak up, I can say, hey, man, like, what's going on here? Like, you and I said that we aligned on values and, like, you signed this paper saying that you were okay with this and if you're not agreeing with this value anymore or we're no longer in alignment, then I don't think this is the space for you, you know? I think like really emphasizing it early on has kind of helped carry it throughout the rest of like the workspace. If I have any issues and something like comes to my attention, I'm able to like reference back to, hey, when we first agreed that you were going to be a part of this space, we knew that this is what you were coming into. So I think being very clear and communicating that has really helped a lot. And I think it brings a lot of peace too. Yeah. But when there's no foundation for how something is set up, it's really hard for people to really be able to like work freely. So I've always taken that to heart because again, I've also seen that in like other workspaces where people behaved certain ways. They were never reprimanded. Going back to my corporate job, I had like this one woman who was like out to get me. And I swear every week she would kind of like pull me to the side and just tell me, you know, Victoria, nobody wants to work with you because you're such a B word. And like, she would just say, you know, like you're so difficult. You're so hard. Like, I don't know why you do these things, you know? And again, I had to go to this person's department, by the way, and help them with some stuff because it wasn't where it needed to mm -hmm. be. It was just amazing to me how cruel 
cruel some women could be overtly because I've also dealt with passive or covert cruelty where it's like someone's clearly not wanting my best but at least they're professional about it to some degree having somebody just like overtly be rude was really crazy to me so I never wanted to deal with that and there was never like rules in place to kind of protect me as an employee and this person was a lawyer they were part of the attorney and counsel that helped the company set up most of its procedures so I pretty much felt like I was always going to be bullied by this woman in my last workplace and I never wanted there to be any opportunity in bloom like in my salon for that to happen yeah um oh my gosh first of all I'm still on the fact that you have like a no gossip clause, which is so funny to me though, because salons, beauty shops, barbershops are known for the best guys <laughs> in all cultures. <laughs> Yeah. And I think this is something that I kind of joke about at the salon because it was so funny. I onboarded this new girl. Um, I say girl, but she's like in her 40s. Um, <laughs> she, was, she was awesome. And it's funny because one of her clients was talking about something. And obviously, I went through the code of conduct with her and I was very thorough about it. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I wasn't trying to like talk, but I'm like, girl, as long as it's nobody in this salon, like we're fine. You know, like, <laughs> like that's where the clients go to let loose and let out. So like if yes, the client yes. is talking to the beauty professional about their life like what's going on in theirs or whatever that's cool but I don't want to hear yeah. you talk about another salon I don't want to hear you talk about other colleagues in the beauty industry I don't want to hear you talk about other beauty professionals within the space and outside of the space because to me that's where we have like a lot of unnecessary drama like the only times that I've ever been okay with talking about certain issues like I've also had to coach like a lot of women because there's some women who come from very traumatic salons where it was an extremely toxic environment because it was filled with gossip or slander there wasn't like these solid rules or foundations for having like good morale in the workplace you know they really suffered a lot and it's like some of these women have like these trauma cycles I've had people who are scared to even come to my salon because they're like you just seem too good to be true and it's like rule of thumb is if somebody's too good to be true then you're probably not that great you know and it's yeah. because so many salon owners are so are so mean, right? I want to like speak highly of my industry because I think the industry is very beautiful and has a lot of potential. Like what we do to help people feel confident and special about themselves is really beautiful. It really is. Like we have the opportunity to help transform somebody's life within like a one hour appointment, whether that's to like go on a date to find the significant other of their life, whether they need a new job and they want to look and present themselves better, not because they're superficial, but because that's the way of the world. We get to do these really beautiful things in the salon workplace. Yeah, but just like any other workplace, it's not immune to trauma, toxicity, yeah. abusive behavior, people on power trips, racism, sexism. I mean, right? Like, Everything else that lives in every other industry, unfortunately, is going into salons too. Yeah. And I think the reason why it makes me so sad, because again, we just, we have such a powerful industry. We really do. Our identities really do revolve around beauty. And what we really try to emphasize at Bloom is that whatever's on the inside, we want to make sure that it's presented on the outside too. You know, like we want to make sure that the world knows that like just as beautiful as you are on the inside, like we want people to know that that's who you are, you know? And again, it's not because that's the way that like we think, but it's because we know how the world operates. And like, because our world is so superficial, it's like, we want to make sure that women have all the opportunities that they can when it comes to those appointments, when they come to like get you know, that service, not only is it just relaxation, but it's like, if we can help somebody get that job of like a CEO or a VP or whatever it is for them, them getting their hair done makes that possible. Like we're so excited to be the people that get to take them on that journey. And so yeah. 
creating a workspace that allows for that beautiful journey to exist, it's really hard. It's really hard because I'm having to go up against an industry where, you know, people were taught to come straight from school and slave away and be on like pretty much to be on their feet for hours, whether they had clients or not. That's how abusive the labor was for a lot of these people starting out until they could take on their own clients. And then even then, most of these people, the first few years of their career have to work on commission. Some salons are good about it, but the majority are not where it's like you could be paying 60% of every service that you do back to the salon owner. And you're hoping that like your tips will help get you through. But that's not the case with everybody. So on top of that, there's a lot of cattiness. So there can be a lot of like egos and divas. I'm really grateful that I don't have any divas in the salon. And like for some people, they love that. They can deal with that. I just, I want people who really care about the individuals that they're serving. I want people who have clients that they like grow with. They go through their children, their children's children. And like they build these long-term relationships to where it's community-based, you know, like they're giving the service. It's not transactional. It's not like I'm getting you in and out. Get out of my chair. It's like, hey, I've known you for so, so many years. Let's continue to make this service to keep helping you and like build value for you and your children. Tell us about what generational wealth means to you, because I know that's something that has inspired your business, but at the same time, you know, you want to have community and not have transactional services. So talk to us about that. That's kind of cool, right? Is that if you think long-term, you're thinking about stability, right? The best way in the beauty industry to create stability is by rebooking people over and over and over again to become regulars. And the only way you have regulars is if you're giving a quality service and you're building a quality relationship with the people you're serving. So if you're not building those quality relationships, you don't have a consistent income because essentially the goal is to fill up your books and have those people come consistently over and over again, right? And then after that, if someone gets really busy, the goal is too, is that like, as you get busier and busier as a beauty professional, if your prices are getting to a certain point where it's like you need to grow, whether with the industry or just because you've been in the industry for a few years, like your expertise grows, you get faster, you get better at what you do. People can give themselves their pay raises too. Like that's how they essentially grow. I experienced that with my mom. I saw that like as she grew, she did commission for many years. Now she does her independent work. When you're independent as a beauty professional, you pay a flat fee to whoever you're renting a chair from. And then from there, you get to 100% pocket all of your services. So they get to make all that money. And granted, they do have to factor in their expenses, their taxes, but they still make a lot more. If they're in the right setting, in the right environment with enough support, they're able to make a whole lot more than they could make if they were in a commission space. Because you have limits. You also have to work based on how the salon owner wants to work and how he wants to, he or she wants to run her space. So there's a lot of limitations with commission work, but everybody I think should start there because then that's how you kind of build your clientele. That's how you get your trade. And then when you go independent, you've already kind of got some like experience under your belt and you're able to really grow. And if people can build more money and they can see their value, then they're able to save. And then we offer some education courses. Like for example, this coming month, we have Latina wealth activists coming in to teach a course on money management. And in her money management course, she talks about how we can practice certain rituals that allow us to be able to grow our money, right? Like how to play with money or like essentially manage it so that we can create additional forms of income that allow our families to not just rely on our salon work, but even other revenues that they can invest in to 
then be able to like help their families like save for college or save for like a house some of those women are already doing it like just one of our girls like she just paid off her car and like she's already looking into like buying a house you know it's so exciting to be able to see that she's making so much more money here than she was at her commission salon but like she's already planning out her next step so talk to us about just how business owner life has been for you I feel like some people kind of fantasize running a business because it seems like it'd be so much better than you know working for someone else but you know there's give and take and so can you share with us what that has looked like for you yeah I'd say the first six months were definitely hell um like oh no I mean (laughs) there's no other way to put it I'm not saying that this has to be everybody's experience but I will say I remember being at one point where it was like man we've invested so much money into this there's no going back and I remember especially the first two months like I'd had a misunderstanding with my landlord and I basically had to take on 80k of debt and like that was really really hard to muster up and my husband and I had to make payments to our contractor because our landlords pulled out and so we ended up having to invest in like this blank space that they gave us it didn't have electricity didn't have ac didn't have plumbing it had nothing in it so we had to literally pay for all of it what our agreement had been was that we were all going to do like half and half right like they put in half we put half right so essentially it should have been like around 45k for each party but that wasn't the case so we had to take on pretty much all of it i was able to negotiate it down a little bit with the contractor because he was midway with like a lot of the construction so thankfully like the contractor was super sweet I had to pull out my stocks. I had to like ask for money from like family. Like it was such a humbling process. And I'm not even open yet. Like I remember first month of business happened. And I mean, we're just like, man, this is really hard. We had had a team of people to kind of start off with. And once we opened up, first group of women that I brought onto the space, like I didn't have like a good interview process yet. And I ended up having to like disconnect with some of them because we didn't align on business. So like some of that stabilized income that I was hoping to have early on was pretty much gone. For two months, it's like I was out there pretty much in the negatives. We found a way to like pay most of that money. The contractor let us do it in payments as long as we did like one big payment up front. But it was like a lot of hustling. I mean, I was working my butt off and I had to like because I cut the cost of the construction I had to take on a lot of the like some of the build outs my husband and I had to do and then he was still working full time his nine to five so like I had to like go in there and paint at a hundred degrees like heat no AC it hadn't been installed yet like I'm in a hazmat suit and I'm trying to interview people (laughs) to like still come into the salon we open up we still don't have electricity because my landlords forgot to put our meter in so we didn't have electricity for like the first month until the city put it in again we we opened up and some of the girls are still working in there we're trying to get it going anything that could have gone wrong literally went wrong and (laughs) we had the team there we had like we had those girls and I had to depart from some of them because I didn't have a really good interview process so again I kind of just let in a lot of people who did not align with my values I only had one person stay with me from that first group and she's still with me to this day but I learned from my first group that I had to get back up and going and I mean I just was like in the negatives man like I don't know how we were doing it I don't know how like my husband and I were like able to take on we were paying like almost 8k a month out of like our pocket to kind of keep this business up and going and pay our construction loan back Mm. it's not until the sixth month like I finally start getting people going in little by little like we have 13 spots that are open in the salon and we currently have 10 of them filled right now it's so beautiful it's so exciting to be on this end yeah but that's how I basically started I was literally like in the hardest place of my life and I just could not believe that I did it but there was always like that part of me inside that was like 
I know that this is going to happen. I knew I wanted to create this space. I felt like I had a lot of confirmation to do this. And it was almost like, you know, I had people on the way too, like business owners who tell me like, you know, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. And if it was easy, everybody would be succeeding, you know, but that's just not the reality. Like opening up a business is going against the grain. It was quite the journey, but I'm so grateful for it. I've learned so much. Nothing builds more character in you than like launching something like that, putting a lot of risk in there. My heart swells with gratitude. Like I could cry talking about this because it's just, there was so many moments where I just wasn't sure if I was going to be where I'm at right now. I just wasn't. Mm. And it's so beautiful to be here. Like some people will tell me, man, like, you know, you've done so well for eight months of being in business. Like you're doing really well for like a new salon. And I'm like, nothing will make you hustle harder than desperation. Like when you need to have that money and you need to pay bills and you need to like cover like, girl, there was one month we missed like our mortgage payment on our house because we just weren't able to do it because it was going to be the salon or the house. And like, thankfully we recovered and we're able to like do it the next month, but nothing pushes you like desperation to make something work. And that's how I was. Like I was out there making calls, doing tours, asking for sponsorships with other businesses to help me out with tours. Like some of them even offered to do it without me even asking. Like Peaberry is somebody who I'm going to shout out. He would sponsor me with coffees and be like, Hey, if you do a tour, you know, let me know how it goes. I'll give some free coffee to anybody who does a tour with you. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Okay. So before we go, I want to play like a little game with you please (laughs) so I'm just gonna say some words or phrases and you just tell me you know the first thing that comes to mind or your response to it okay we'll do it real quick community growth bangs fun (laughs) (laughs) lattes or juices oh that's tough lattes (laughs) (laughs) renovating bloom space tough stuff man tough stuff Those are the growing pains right there. The growing pains. Right. <laughs> Lashes. Beauty. Equal pay. Power. A secret passion of yours. I have recently gotten into nail art. Like, I am <gasps> so obsessed. Yes. I love that. I love that. The college experience. Overrated. <laughs> <laughs> I really do encourage college to some degree. I just think that it's not your end all. Like your life will not be over if you don't get it. Yeah, you're not going to peak in college. No. And if you do, we'll, we need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. And lastly, tell us a song that you cannot get out of your head. That Steve Lacey song. The one, I wish I knew. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for coming and talking about your career and your business. This is like really great insights for people and such an inspirational story. Oh, you're so sweet, Joy. Thank you for having me. I cannot wait to see how Work Stories grows. And I hope that more women align with these stories and find their passions, whether that's the corporate side or not, just from like listening to the stories that all the women share on your podcast. This is truly such a beautiful space. I love when people just say what it is instead of trying to front like something they accomplished wasn't hard as hell. If you make your success look easy, cool. But if it wasn't easy, it's on you to be honest with those watching you and take all of your credit for fighting 50 battles to get what you wanted. Be proud of that. Victoria is helping create healthy work environments for women in a way many of you have never thought of. What's a way that you can flip the script for women and women of color struggling in the workforce? And this isn't just a question for women of color. This is a question for everyone. We'll talk next week. Hey. 
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. 